morning. You know, if I were a betting man, and I'm not, but if I were, I would wager that some of the most uh, thrilling, satisfying, meaningful times in your life were those times when you were teamed up with a group of like-minded people and carrying out an important task together or an important mission together. Am I right? I mean, that's just fun, isn't it? Maybe it was back when you were on a high school sports team and uh, you and your team were fighting hard to win the league championship. Or maybe you were in the military and a part of a military unit that was, uh, had a mission together, a, perhaps a dangerous combat mission. Or maybe there was a time when you and some buddies decided to start a business together. Or maybe it was a short-term missions trip and you were part of a team that wanted to go into a village and bless that village and point people to Jesus. Or maybe it's uh, the ministry team that you serve on here at New Life every week. There's just something special about being teamed up with like-minded, kindred spirits and going after something big together, going after something important together. I think back 30 years ago when our little church planting team, how we were feeling as we left behind everything that was familiar to us and moved to a place called Columbus, Ohio to start a church together. There was a, a thrill and a passion and an aliveness and an engagement. We were friends linked up together on an important mission. And it was fun. And I do think of our, our Whitehall launch team, who just recently also, many of them, left behind something familiar, teaming up for gospel impact in that community. When you're banded together with friends and, and you sense a calling together to make a difference, it is just thrilling. It's, there's something special about that. Well, I don't know if Jesus' disciples fully understood what was happening on that Thursday night of Passion Week when, when their leader, their beloved leader, was sharing his heart with them. But there's no doubt that as they made their way from the upper room down through a vineyard and towards a special place of prayer, Jesus was preparing them for just such an adventure. Friends teaming up together for a big mission. Well, last weekend, we began a three-week series here from one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible, John chapter 15. We titled the series, Be Fruitful and Multiply. And we listened in as Jesus explained to his men that night how the Christian life was meant to be lived. And we noted that he was walking through a vineyard, and perhaps he grabbed hold of a cluster of grapes there, and he said, guys, I am the vine, I'm the true vine. And you are the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, you're going to bear much fruit. And we heard Jesus say that his very life would flow into their souls if they would just what? Abide in him. Stay in a close, vital, living, organic relationship of daily dependence upon Christ. And that the overflow of his life in them would spill out onto other people and impact others as well. Does anybody remember that from last weekend? John 15. Okay, good. Well, you can go there in your Bibles this morning or on your devices. That's where we're going to be. And again this morning, we're going to eavesdrop in on that continuing conversation between Jesus and his disciples. So listen as I read his words recorded in John 15, beginning in verse 12, where he said this, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. 
No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. These are the words of our Lord. A few things I'd like us to see right off the bat. First of all, if you read through there, I want you to notice that all of the yous are actually plural in the original language. So it could be y'all. So he was saying this, y'all are my friends if y'all do what I command you. Y'all did not choose me, but I chose y'all. Y'all should go and bear fruit. Perhaps Jesus was from southern Israel, I guess. The point is he was talking to his men as, as a group, as a unit, as a team together. He'd been teaming them up, hadn't he, for three years. And now as their team leader, he was giving them, in essence, some final pregame instructions before sending them out onto the field. We need to realize that. He was talking to them collectively together. And then notice that Jesus, in this moment, was changing their status. He was friending them. And not on Facebook, but in real life. He said, no longer do I call you servants, but I have called you friends. That's a, a status upgrade, is it not? From servants to friends. And so I believe this was a defining moment in his relationship with his men. And then notice again verse 16 where he said, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. I don't know if the disciples in that moment really got this, but I, I'm sure within a couple of months it would all sink in. Jesus was looking at his closest friends on this earth, men who, whom he had chosen for this very purpose, and he was assigning them with a mission to carry out. Do you see it? Go. Go and bear fruit. And what's that all about? Well, we said last week that when Jesus here speaks of fruit, he was talking about lives of other people impacted for Christ. Lives impacted for Jesus. His life flowing through his disciples and then spilling out and overflowing onto other people so that their lives were changed as well. That's fruit. So this was an important mission, a mission of going and impacting lives all over the world for Christ. Think about that. We here today are some of the fruit. I mean, we here today are some of the fruit of Jesus' disciples taking that commission seriously and doing what Jesus was commanding them to do, spreading his life to other people. Because they did that, and that got spread not only around the globe, but across the centuries, we're here today worshiping Jesus Christ. And you know what? That same commission to go and bear fruit has been given to us as well. Isn't that exciting? This mission was not just reserved for that first generation of believers. We too are being teamed up and sent out to go and bring forth fruit so that others will know the Lord and become his friends and share his life and follow him. 
So with that in mind, with our mission in mind, I want us to see this morning five essentials, five essentials for fruitful impact that Jesus speaks about here because that's what he's talking about. How can we who are teamed up on Team Jesus live our lives in such a way that fruit is born? People's lives are impacted for him. How does that happen? Well, first, and this is on your study outline if you haven't pulled that out yet, the first essential is to be selected by the team leader for the team, for membership on the team. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. You know what? It is an honor to be selected for Jesus' team. You know that? It's a privilege. If you're a Christian today, I hope you feel that, that you've been blessed to have been chosen by Christ. Yes, Jesus did handpick his original team there of of 12 disciples, but the Bible's also clear that he's also selected every Christian who has ever been redeemed from their sins. By the way, that's the only way that that, that any of us could ever be on Jesus' team. Think about it, in our fleshly human nature, we would not have chosen him. No way. By nature, we humans want to be our own Lord and Savior, right? We want to plan out our own lives. We want to live out our own agenda. Isaiah wrote that we are all like sheep going astray, everyone turning to his own way. But thank God, the shepherd of our souls, out of love, chose us for himself. And then he called us and chased us down so we could participate in his glorious salvation and in his mission. Hope you never lose your wonder that God would choose you for his team. It's amazing. It's a mind-boggling thought. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're asking, well, how do I know if I've been chosen? How do I know? Well, I'll answer that question with a question of my own. Have you ever believed? Have you ever truly believed in Christ? And if you have, that is the evidence that you have been chosen. Listen to how Paul wrote, In Ephesians 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he, what? Chose us in him before the foundation of the world. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you believed in him. We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So having the privilege of hearing the gospel and then responding with faith in Jesus Christ in his perfect life, in his atoning death for your sins, in his glorious resurrection, that's the proof that he has chosen you. If you've believed, that's how you know. And many of you have heard the good news and many, many of you have believed. I hope and pray that the rest of you will soon. Sometimes, I think we lose sight of the fact that we have not been just chosen as individuals, but we've been selected, excuse me, to be on a team, his team. In one sense, you could say that you were chosen for your potential chemistry with the rest of the team. You were chosen for your potential contribution to the rest of the team and to their mission. That kind of puts it in a different light, doesn't it, when you think about it that way? Seeing ourselves as teammates 
then on mission together, let's look at the next essential that we see in this passage. Number two is to be sacrificially committed to your teammates like the team leader is. Sacrificially committed to the rest of your teammates. He said, this is my commandment that you love each other, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been on some teams in my life where there wasn't a whole lot of love. My college tennis team comes to mind. Not a lot of love. But you know what? On Team Jesus, the captain of the team has already himself modeled the kind of commitment and self-giving love that he desires for his whole team. He said, love each other like I have loved you. You know, he'd already said this once that same night, earlier, back in the upper room, just after he had washed his disciples' feet, just really moments earlier. It's recorded in John 13, 34. He said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So believing is how you know you're on the team, but love is how other people will know you're on the team. You could say that love is really the team uniform. It's what marks us. It's what identifies us as followers of Jesus Christ, sacrificial love. And this must have been pretty important to Jesus because he restated it several times that night. Fellas, love each other, love each other, love one another. And as he talked about that, he gave them something to shoot for. Did you notice that in verse 13? A kind of love to shoot for, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. That is great love. Self-sacrificing love. You know, people have done that. It's always inspiring to us when we hear stories of that kind of love. I heard a story recently about a mom who lived in Scotland uh, many, many years ago, a new mom, and she always had her little baby with her. And one day she was traveling on foot to another town up in the Scottish Highlands. And suddenly a, a huge snowstorm swept in, caught her off guard, kind of ambushed her, and she hunkered down with her child to try and, and ride it out, clutching her little baby, as you can imagine, close. But despite her best efforts, her little one was shivering in the icy cold. So you know what she did? She took off all of her own clothes, and she wrapped her little precious infant in her clothes to keep the child warm. The next day, they found the mother naked and frozen to death, but the baby was warm and alive, wrapped in the mother's clothes. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down their life. Think about Jesus for a minute. Think about Jesus. Here he says, love one another as I have loved you. And in that upper room, he had just exhibited that kind of humble, selfless kind of love when he had bent down and washed the grime off of his disciples' dirty, smelly feet. And you know that in a few short hours from this moment, he would display an even greater love, wouldn't he? He would lay down his life on the cross. I mean, how stunning is that? A team leader who lays down his life for the team? 
I mean, this is amazing. And you know what? He called those first disciples and he calls us to that same kind of sacrificial commitment to the rest of our teammates. Oh my. You know, later in his life, the man who wrote this book, John, would pen another letter. And in that letter, he would elaborate on this idea of sacrificial love. And I'm really glad he did. Because it's rare that any of us are actually called to die for someone else. What I want to know is, is it possible to lay down your life for others and still live? Listen to what John would write in 1 John 3, 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. There it is again. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Listen, but if anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Do you see it? So yes, there is dying love, but there's also living love. Love that lays down its life by laying down its own agenda, by laying down its own self-focus and self-importance, and opens up its heart to a brother or sister in need and in compassion acts to meet that need. You see, that's laying down your life too. Sure, it's on a smaller scale than, you know, dying for your infant child, but in a sense, it's the same thing, putting others' well-being ahead of your own acting in selfless compassion to meet that need? Let me ask you, do you have that kind of love for your teammates? Say, who are my teammates? I'm talking about your family members. Do you have that kind of love for the members of your family, laying down your life kind of love? I'm talking about your small group members that you're linked up with. Do you have that kind of love for them? I'm talking about your ministry team comrades that you serve alongside in the kingdom of God, I'm talking about all of your fellow ministry partners in this church, I'm talking about your brothers and sisters around the world, do you have that kind of love for them? Christ would say to us, it's that kind of love that's going to cause the world around us to take notice and to want whatever it is in us that would cause us to love like that. Jesus is saying that lasting fruit, spiritual impact, Lives changed for Christ will be produced when we love like that. Because there's no human explanation for it. It can only come from Christ. Note a third essential here for living lives of fruitfulness and impact. Number three, submitted to the leader as individuals and as a team. Submitted to him. Listen to Jesus' words again. This is my commandment, not suggestion, not good idea, not notion. This is my commandment that you love one another. You are my friends, he said, if you do what I command you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. You could sum it up this way. Follow the leader. Follow the leader. Have you ever been on a team where everybody kind of had their own agenda? and did their own thing, maybe a team at work or a sports team. 
Everybody's got their own ideas about how to do things, how to carry out the mission, how to get it done. If you've ever been on a team like that, then you know the joys of being on a dysfunctional team. Or maybe we should say the frustrations, right? (laughs) Dysfunctional teams are out of sync. Usually they're ineffective. If they happen to get the job done, it's usually by accident. How can team members get on the same page so that they work harmoniously together and accomplish what they were tasked with, what they were commissioned to do? Well, you know what? I was out on the water last weekend with a friend here in the church sailing in his sailboat on Hoover Reservoir, and great time, beautiful day, out on the water there, and as we were heading back to the dock near the end of the day, we saw a couple of rowing teams, you know what I'm talking about, that were uh, practicing, I guess, for competition, and their canoes were, you know, slicing through the water, and they were moving along at a a really good clip, and we were watching them, and, and, you know, watching all of those rowers, I think there were eight of them, seven or eight of them, rowing together in synchronous motion. It's a, very, it's a very captivating sight. It's a beautiful thing. And what we noticed is that riding parallel to each rowing team was a smaller boat, a motorized boat that was keeping pace with those canoes. And in each of those boats was a guy with a megaphone who was barking out a cadence. And we could hear it, you know, 100 yards away on the water. The team members were synced up with each other and rowing together because each of them was synced up with the caller who was giving the orders. They were all following one leader. And so they were in tune. They were in sync. And because of that, they were clipping along. You know what? Progress in the kingdom of God works a lot like that. It really does. When we are all attuned to the voice of the same master, attuned to him, and, 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 and each of us submitted to him, we'll be rowing together in sync. We'll be clipping along. Love will flow. Love will rule. Fruit will be produced. People will be touched. Lives will be changed. The mission will advance. When Jesus' people are working together in sync, following one leader, One voice, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. There's nothing like the church of Jesus Christ when the church of Jesus Christ is working like it should. There's nothing like it. Oh, how I long for that. You got to know that for guys like me, that's that's the vision that keeps me awake at night, to think about a church rowing together, making tracks for Jesus Christ in this world. But you know, when you think about that mental image, lest you think... Lest you have a a picture of a mean, crusty old captain, you know, angrily barking out orders. Look at the next point. Number four, Jesus said, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. Fourth essential for a fruit-bearing life and a fruit-bearing team is sweet friendship with the leader. Isn't that good? Sweet friendship with the leader. Now, I don't want you to get the wrong idea. The team leader is in charge. He is the master. We are the servants. He has the authority to issue commands and demand obedience. When you're the son of God, when you're the second person of the Holy Trinity, you can do that. But notice the tone he takes here with his men. 
This is the status change I mentioned earlier. No longer do I call you servants. Now you're my friends. I'm calling you friends because I'm sharing with you the deep things that the Father has revealed to me. And I want you to know what's in our hearts, me and my Father. That's what he was saying. I know you and I want you to know me and my Father. This is sweet, sweet friendship with the leader of our team. You know, in the Old Testament, how many people were called the friend of God? Do you know? I mean, specifically referred to as God's friend. Do you know how many? One. Abraham was called the friend of God. It was a reserved status. But think about it now in Christ, through the new covenant that was about to be ratified in blood, not only are servants turned into his friends, but even enemies are turned into the friends of God. This new friendship includes a sweet affection, doesn't it? That grows out of transparency and love and openness and sharing of life. Again, we did not initiate this as humans. We would not have. Jesus initiated it. He chose to reveal to his disciples that divine truth from the Father, things they would never have understood without him deciding to disclose it to them, things that he called the secrets of the mystery of the kingdom of God. Reserved for those who, like little children, would entrust themselves to him and become his friends. This new status, though, doesn't negate the need for obedience. Don't think that. For followers of Christ to do his will, to please him. But what it does is it establishes a different climate for our obedience, a different atmosphere, a different tone. It's not the grudging obedience of slavery with its fear of punishment. No, it's the glad obedience that flows from sweet friendship with Jesus. We obey because he loved us and we know it. We obey because we love him. We obey because we're close. His life, his very life is flowing through us, right? We obey because we already have his smile on our lives in Christ. And we obey because we want to see him pleased even more. That's why we obey. That's a different tone. I ask you, who wouldn't want to be on a team like that? Who wouldn't want to be on a team where the leader lays down his life for the teammates? Who wouldn't want to follow a leader like that? Listen, it's an immense honor to be on Jesus' team. It is an immense honor to be selected by him, to have like-minded teammates, to be able to love your teammates sacrificially like he does, to take your cues from a master who's also a friend be given a mission of impact that's going to transform the world. What, what a privilege it is. Do you feel that today? And if that weren't enough, I believe Jesus was also saying here, there's an additional perk given to his friends. A special privilege that seems to be reserved for abiding, fruit-bearing disciples. He already mentioned it once back in verse 7, and here he states it again. He said, I chose you in verse 16 and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide, meaning it should remain, it should last. Listen, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Wow, this is fantastic. This is a, 
a special privilege from the leader. Here's what I believe Jesus is saying here. I believe he's saying that God entrusts himself and his power, his prayer-answering power, in a special way to his abiding, fruit-bearing disciples who love their teammates and are committed to his mission. Again, the you is plural here. It's whatever y'all ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Collectively, whatever you all are asking God for together, you who are abiding in my son and loving your teammates and committed to bearing fruit, this is an incredible privilege, a, a special entrustment given to the friends of Jesus who are banded together in commitment to him and his cause and, and united in prayer towards that end. What I see this as is Jesus placing at his team's disposal everything they're going to need, all the resources they will need to carry out his mission. Isn't that awesome? When I look at this promise of answered prayer here in verse 16, and when I combine it with what he said in verse 7, I I see a kind of a rhythm flowing in the life of a fruit-bearing disciple of Jesus. Do you see it? It goes like this. Verse 7, he said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So it it starts with us taking in his words like we're doing this morning. Like I like to think of it as marinating our minds in the word of God. Do you do that? You you saturate your, your being in the words of Christ. It starts with that, us marinating our minds in his word. And then his word prompts us to pray because we see what's in the word and then we see what's in the world and we see that it's, there's a gap. That is not this. And we pro- we're prompted to pray. God, make it so. And in our prayers, we ask the Lord to bear fruit, don't we? By flowing through us and spilling out over our lives onto other people. And God responds by answering, opening doors of conversation and doors of influence for the love and life of his son. He's already working in people, you know. Have you discovered that? God's already at work in the lives of people. We just need to get synced up with the leaders so that we're being directed to pray for those that he's already working in. So there's this rhythm here. His word in us prompting us to pray back to him. God responds with answered prayers. Fruit is produced. We respond by spending more time in the word. And the rhythm just repeats itself. The word and prayer, the word and prayer, the word and prayer. That's how it's worked in my life. Remember those three habits I talked about last week if you were here? Three holy habits, three rhythms of grace that can work together to help you abide in Christ more deeply. Remember the first one, daily quiet time with Christ? I mean, that's what this is about. It's it's about the word and prayer. You with God, hearing him speak to your heart and then responding with prayers. Lord, this world is not what you say the kingdom of God is in the scriptures. Make it so. That's where it begins. I think these three habits can really work together to fuel and feed deeper abiding and greater fruit bearing. Daily, quiet time with Christ, weekly connection time with a small group. That's a team. That's a team, by the way. Teaming up. 
for missions. Then third, a monthly sharpening time with a spiritual partner. We haven't talked a whole lot about this lately, but, you know, Paul had his Barnabas. Timothy had his Paul. Joshua had his Moses. This, we see this in, in Scripture and down through the, the history of the church, God partnering people up for spiritual sharpening. Like it says in Proverbs, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. This is the work of God to link us up with people where we can help each other grow. Call it mentorship, call it spiritual partnership. Elisha had his Elijah. Something we're feeling more strongly here at New Life these days, that the power of this in combination with these other habits can can be spiritually explosive. There's a spiritual synergy that can happen in your life and in the life of your teammates as you're cultivating these habits. And uh, we're feeling so strongly about this third one that we're going to offer a, a seminar, a mini seminar on it. Like I said uh, a couple weeks ago, I've had more people in the last month or so say to me, Steve, I just feel like I need a, a, a mentor in my life. Someone to help me understand the things of Christ and Help me walk with Christ. I need guidance. I need wisdom. And so in your worship folder is, is a little insert. It's canned, I think you'd call that. It says, Be Fruitful and Multiply, a spiritual development seminar, Saturday, August 29th from 9 to 1230. It includes lunch. You register online for it. There's a bunch of questions there to kind of help you identify yourself. Is that me? Is that me? Have I been feeling that? But I strongly encourage you to consider this. See what God might do through it. Well, this is good stuff, isn't it? I love John 15. Here are some application questions for you to consider. Who are you teamed up with? Who are you teamed up with in your life? Anyone? How much do you love each other on your team? How, how much do you love one another? Do you see yourselves teamed up on a mission? Like we're not just getting together to have fun, but, but, but we're... We're going somewhere together. And what are you and your teammates asking God for that will help you impact more lives for Christ? May our Lord, may our team leader, may Jesus use this team to impact more lives for him and his glory and his kingdom. Amen? Amen. Well, you know, as I thought about the John 15 and, and its application to our lives, there are many. I mean, there are many, but the one that's standing out to me is prayer. One of the founding principles of this church is this, and I mentioned it a couple weeks ago. Nothing of eternal significance ever happens apart from prayer. Nothing. And I just felt prompted to ask us to spend the next few moments together in prayer as a team. I would love it if we could spend the next few few moments together praying. I hope a number of you will come and pray up here at the front. Uh, for those of you in Whitehall, I don't know if there's any room at the front. I can't see. <laughs> but I hope that maybe a, a dozen or so people could fill up that front pew or that front section and pray. Could we pray together? Remember, remember it's the y'all thing, right? It's y'all. Y'all together, collectively praying your, his word abiding in us and us responding in prayer. You say, what, what, 
what could I come and pray for? Well, pray for a deeper abiding. Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. He who abides in me will bear much fruit. Pray for a deeper abiding. Pray for greater fruit bearing. Pray for more love. Amen. More love, Jesus. More of your love flowing through me. Help me to love the people that you love, that I might not love by nature. Pray for more obedience, more joyful, glad obedience to Christ on the team. Pray for the people in our communities. Pray for the people in our communities that their hearts would be softened towards us, towards our message, towards Jesus. Let's pray like the early church did for boldness. Acts chapter 4. God grant us boldness that we might proclaim the word of the Lord. How about this? You have someone in your family who doesn't know Christ, perhaps. They're not believers yet. Pray that God would send one of these kind of people, an abiding, fruit-bearing person, into their life so the life of Christ spills over onto your loved one. Would Would you pray for that? If you're a parent, let's pray that our children get infected with the real disease here, genuine Christianity. They get it. They get that it's not about religion and rituals, that it's about a relationship with Jesus where his life flows through them. Let's pray for these things. Would you come?